This message was presented at the GYC 2016 conference, when all has been heard, in Houston, Texas. For other resources like this, visit us online at www.gycweb.org. Good afternoon, everybody. Good. I already found out how most of you are doing, and I don't see anybody falling asleep yet. But it's, uh, I guess it's an hour or so since you had lunch, so maybe uh, you're not going to fall asleep. But I have a good news for you. If you fall asleep, don't worry. I'll just ask you a question, and I'll wake you up. <laughs> okay? All right. We're going to talk about the principles of health in a different kind of way today as a call to balance. We have to, however, frame everything in this reality. Okay? Now, it's just a picture but you know what it represents. What does it represent to you? The second coming of Jesus Christ. So this is the context in which we're framing what we're going to be doing uh, today. Now, what do you see in that picture? Ahead. Talk to the person next to you. You have 15 seconds to come up with an answer. Go ahead. The person next to you, you need to talk. Okay, good. You see a man in that picture? All right, let me show you this one. Is it the same thing? Ah, you saw it. What do you see? Uh-huh, that's a lady there, and that's a dress, that's a skirt. Uh-huh. And there's a man over there, that's his hat, that's his beard. That's his right elbow, right? Those are his legs. And this, what's that? It's a dog, right? And this, this is, this is the entrance to a building, right? Did you see that? Now, was there a problem with your eyes? No. But there was a problem with your perception, right? Well, I shouldn't say a problem. There was a difference in perception. Once, once you see something a different way, it changes the way you see it, right? As a matter of fact, for some things, like this, this particular uh, drawing, you can see it and unsee it. So there are some of them, once you see it, you can't unsee it. What it is, it is, right? You, you, you pick that up immediately. But our thoughts, actually, are what are important if we're going to have change in our lives. Uh, God works through our minds. He works through our thoughts. And what's going on in our heads, this is very, very important. And one little drop can make a whole big difference. And hopefully uh, today we'll have a few drops that will come from the throne of God. Now, GYC. I have, uh, I have three sons, and they have been GYCers uh, for quite a while, right? And usually during GYC, what happens? We get a high. How many of you feel that you're on a mountaintop experience here at GYC, right? Okay. And then what happens? You go back home, you go back to, to real life, and somehow or another things may fade away a little bit, right? So my question to you is after you've heard all of the things that you have heard, you've participated in all of the things that you've participated, what is it that we're going to be doing today that's going to make a difference to you for when you get home? 
What are we called to do as Seventh-day Adventists, as young and not so young, Seventh-day Adventist Christians, right, going back home, right? What are we called to do? And let, let's, let's take a look at that. Now, Matthew 28, 19 and 20 says, can someone read that out loud? Amen. Amen. Now, who was that given to? To the disciples. But, do we see any application of this to us today? Yes? Are all the commands given to the disciples, individually and collectively, things that we have to do today? All? Some are more, all right, okay. So we have to understand what it is that, that Jesus is saying. Because if we don't, we might look at this one, Matthew 10, 1 and 7 to, to 10, where he says, uh, if you start with, with verse 7, and as you go, preach, saying the kingdom of heaven is at hand. We should do that, yes or no? Yes. Uh, heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse the lepers, cast out demons. Yes? Okay. Uh, freely you have received, freely give. Get no gold, nor silver, nor brass in your purses. No money. Don't take any money with you, all right? No wallet for your journey, neither two coats, nor shoes, nor staff. Hmm. Hmm. It can be figurative. It can be figurative, right? So let's go to the top. What does it say here? And when he had called unto him his 12 disciples, he gave them power against unclean spirits to cast them out and to heal all manner of sickness and all manner of disease. Does that sound like something that is specific to, to an event that he did, or does it sound like this is what he did for all of his disciples, that this is what we have? Huh? You think it's just to the twelve? Aha. Uh -huh. So we have gifts differing. I think that's, how, that's a, the technical term uh, that is used. The, the issue is, if this is not for us, all of it, some of it should be for us. Because we are disciples too, are we not? Okay. So now, with this in mind, here's what we have. Jesus says in Matthew 7, 21 to 23. Not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven. But he that doeth the will of my Father which is in heaven. You know that text, right? Here's what he says. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, we have we not prophesied in thy name, and in thy name cast out devils, and in thy, na uh, in thy name done many wonderful works. And I will profess unto them, I never knew you. Depart from me you workers of iniquity. Isn't that sad? Is it possible that we could be included in that group? Is it possible that if, if we don't uh, understand and apply what, what God wants us to really 
capture and to do, that we might be in that group, that will be a sad, sad, this is a sad statement. Jesus is saying, here are people who are going to call me Lord. But he will say, I, I, I don't know you. Get away from me, you workers of iniquity. You were doing it on your own. You were doing it in your own strength. You, weren't, you had no real association with me in doing this. That's a problem. And then we go to Matthew 25, and we find this. Then the king shall say unto them on his right hand, Come, ye blessed of my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was a hungered, and ye gave me meat. I was thirsty, and ye gave me drink. I was a stranger, and ye took me in. Naked, and ye clothed me. I was sick, and ye visited me. I was in prison, and ye came unto me. Is this something that we're called to do? Now, this wasn't just told to the disciples, right? This was told to all of us. It was, it was a story that Jesus was giving to illustrate what his father is looking for as well. And then the righteous answer him, saying, Lord, when saw we thee and, uh, and hungered and fed thee or thirsty and gave thee drink? And when saw ye a stranger, etc., etc. And the king shall answer and say unto them, Verily I say unto you, Inasmuch as you have done it unto the least of these, my brethren, you have done it unto me. Amen. Inasmuch as you have done it unto the least of these, my brethren. So now, the question would be, who is Jesus' brethren? The whole world including the person right next to you and the person behind you and the person in front of you, right? So what are we called to do as Seventh-day Adventists? We can talk a lot, but we have to think and act, okay? And I would like to introduce to you, if you have not seen this before, the concept of shalom. This is what was laid on my heart to present to you today the concept of shalom. In the Old Testament, there are several words that are used to convey the idea of health. And the theologians, Adventist theologians, non-Adventist theologians, Jewish, Catholic, <laughs> the theologians, sum up the idea of health in this word, shalom. They say this is the Hebrew word that most describes the concept of health. Now, what does it mean? If you look in the, uh, well, let me, let me get to that. We have used some surrogates for health. Uh, most of you are familiar with, I would assume, most of you are familiar with the blue zones, right? And the study from National Geographic by Dan Buettner. Well, we have all of these things, the secrets of living longer, and you know that Seventh-day Adventists were included in that, actually the Seventh-day Adventists in Loma Linda, right? And then there are the Okinawans, and then uh, he wrote about uh, five and then seven different, um, different territories, and there's a science of, of longevity. Science and truth, science and the revelation of God are really the same thing, okay? True science, that is. But now, are the Okinawans who are living longer in the same condition 
as Seventh-day Adventists who are living longer? What do you think? I heard a no here. Talk to the person next to you. You have one minute. Come up with an answer. Just a simple yes or no, and then we'll deal with it. Yes or no? She won't bite you. What did you come up with? Okay, good. So what do you think? How many say, yes, they're in the same situation, actually they're living uh, maybe even a little bit longer than, than Seventh-day Adventists? How many of you? I see one hand. Okay, two. All right, same condition, same condition. All right, how many say, no, it's a different, it's a different setting? Okay. For those who say no, why you say no? They're missing the spiritual aspect. How about that? Those who said yes, what do you think about the spiritual aspect of the Okinawans? Ah, got you, right? <laughs> he says, you got me. <laughs> the spiritual, what, what do they do? What do they do spiritually? We're not going to get into a study of the Okinawans. But, but if, yes, they're ancestor worshippers. But, but if, if we were to consider that health is not just the physical, and it's not just living longer, then we have to go back, we go back and we look at Matthew 28, 19 and 20. This is not just about living better in the world. It's about, it's about becoming disciples and to, and to learn what God has in, intended for us, for all of his children to be. And we happen to have the privilege of being ambassadors of peace, ambassadors of hope and sharers of God's compassion to the world so that the world may know that there's a God who is powerful and a God who removes shame and a God who loves. Isn't that a wonderful thing? Yes, the word shalom means completeness. It means soundness. It means, it means welfare. It means well-being, peace, and health. It means all that is good. All that is good. Everything that is good. So when a Hebrew met another Hebrew and said, Shalom, what that person was saying is that I wish for you everything that is good. Is that something? Yeah. I wish for you everything that is good. But now, is it only Hebrews greeting Hebrews with that word? No. Everybody that they met, they were supposed to wish them Shalom. Good. All that is good is yours. So the idea of loving your enemies and doing good to those who, who hurt you is not a New Testament idea. It's a whole Testament idea that we do good even to those who intend to do us evil. And we wish them wholeness because in reality, if they truly were to become whole the way God intends for us to become whole, we have no enemies. They would be more than just friends. They'd be brothers and sisters. Big family. Shalom. Now, along with that, and especially after a high, and, uh, and actually 
the speaker last night and the speaker this morning both alluded to it. Sometimes what happens, we get so excited, we have such energy, such zeal, we go off the deep end. <laughs> right? Or we go into a ditch on one side or we go into a ditch on the other side. Isn't that right? We, 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 because we're so excited, we're so eager, we end up with being people who are unbalanced in our approach. But this guy, he certainly has balance. I found this on the internet. I wouldn't do what he's doing. <laughs> but he found balance. What does it take to have that kind of balance? What does it take to have the kind of balance that we see when we watch the Olympics, if you watch the Olympics, and we see people doing backflips and uh, repetitive tumbles on a piece of wood that is four inches wide. It's called the balance beam. Have you seen those in the Olympics or in uh, some kind of gymnastic event? Four inches wide. The official rules, 10 centimeters. That's it. And these people do, but I would, I would do one and show you, but uh, uh, <laughs> uh, they do these backflips and tumbles. They can't see where they're going, but they just go. What does it take to be able to do that, to have that kind of balance? Practice, practice, concentration, and it also takes Focus. You see, sometimes when we talk about balance, we're thinking about a little of this and a little of that. Well, in this case, when we talk about balance, we're talking about being so focused on God and His plan that there's no room for anything else. That's the kind of balance we're talking about. We're so focused on God and His plan that there's no room, really, or anything else. And God has a plan, yes, for each of us and for each of us in our lives. And one of the things that he has in mind for us is shalom. And not only that, he wants us to be ambassadors of this shalom to everybody that we meet. Isn't that something? I tell you. So once you come, you're recruited and you become a sharer uh, in this. Now, as you've seen before in this series, there are some issues. Many biblical teachings on lifestyle include mental, physical, moral, social, and family health, and they're being validated by science every day, right? Yes, using good science in our programs provides an opportunity to reveal the goodness of our creator and the power of biblical teaching. We, we use good science. People who are intelligent read the studies, and if we give them half-baked information, they think, you're out to lunch. You're half-baked. They're not going to listen to the rest of what we say. So we should be focused on the truth. And we should tell people, to the best of our ability, the truth as we understand it. Thank you very much. But we had some problems. And these problems uh, predated us. The story here is of Jesus and his disciples 
And his disciples asking him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents? The man was blind from birth. You know the story in John chapter 9. Well, a proper theology of hell teaches risk reduction and cause and effect. And we are called as Seventh-day Adventists to be involved in the preventive aspect, also, also in the interactive aspect, also in the curative aspect, right? We, we, we're called to the whole, the whole nine yards. But every member in the church, everybody who is a Seventh-day Adventist, has at least been called into the health education and the health evangelistic aspect of medical ministry. All of us. That's part of what we do. It's part of who we are. So teaching risk reduction and cause and effect, we should reason from cause to effect. We shouldn't be afraid of reason. Even God used reason. Isaiah chapter 1, he says, come now, let us reason together. Okay? Although sin and sickness are closely related, is it evident that not all sickness is directly traceable to transgression on the part of the sick? But you know, sometimes we seem to forget that. We may have a friend who gets sick, and the first thing that comes to our mind is what they're not doing with regard to health. It's the first thing that comes to mind. Sometimes we might meet some, we might hear of somebody, a prominent figure, and that person has cancer, and folks are wagging their tongues and wagging their fingers. Ah, it's because somehow we have uh, some kind of diagnostic ability to be able to see all the way through. And the disciples were asking this question they were, because this was a the, was the thought at the time, and it's a thought that has prevailed, that when somebody gets sick, it must be something that they did that did this. Too often the innocent suffer for or with the guilty, because if you're sick, then it must be a problem that you have caused. You've brought it on yourself. And this picture should tell it like it is. What is the look on that face of the person who is supposed to represent God. Condemnation. Well, that's how I see it. And so, we take up the ire of God, so to speak. Ah, it's because you did so and so. Look, I have known people, uh, good, God-fearing people, who have been living up to everything that they knew to do. And they got ill. And the sad part about it is they didn't really want anybody else to know. You know why? Because they knew that they would be condemned. They will not find a listening ear. They will not find a shoulder to cry on. They would not find a supportive environment. What they would find is condemnation. You must have done something wrong. And that reminds me of the book that we have been studying this last quarter. <laughs> you did it. You did it. Well, Andreasen, in The Faith of Jesus, goes on to say, disabilities and sicknesses are not always directly due to sin. That is the sin of the individual. All illness is due to sin because we live in a sinful world. When sin will be no more, sickness will be no more. Death will be no more. Pain, suffering, crying. Ah. Not all suffering is punishment for sin. To many, sickness and suffering are a sure sign of God's disfavor. 
And conversely, they think that if nothing is troubling them, God is pleased with their general way of life. But such reasoning and prayers are not safe. Not one ditch, nor the other. If everything seemed to be going right for you with your health, it doesn't mean that you're doing everything right. You know, as a doctor, uh, I, I came to the conclusion, even before I was a Seventh-day Adventist, that what people really wanted when they came into my office was to hear me say, well done. They, <laughs> I remember this one guy, he, he was uh, a pilot. He had diabetes. And you know, that if you know anything about this, diabetes and flying planes, uh, ouch. Okay? So he had to have strict control of his blood sugar. And he would come in, and he is shaking. Why? He's not shaking because uh, his blood sugar is too low or anything like that. He's shaking because he knows what he has been doing and not doing. And what he wants is for me to say, ah, everything looks good, and sign off for the federal government that everything is fine. Now, I, I, to, his, to his credit, he never once asked me to do something that was illegal, right? But I can imagine if he was going to be grounded, maybe he wouldn't ask me, but he might suggest it, if you know what I mean. Because it's his livelihood. People would like, when they come to see the doctor, that the doctor says, everything is fine, no problem, keep on doing what you're doing, I'll see you in another year, or whatever it is, and you say, God away this time. <laughs> God away this time. We must be winsome in using tact and wisdom when we deal with health issues for ourselves and with others. Now, I went through myself with my family. We went through all kinds of uh, different uh, combinations and permutations of how we would have... Uh, our, you know, dinner in the, at breakfast and uh, no oil. And uh, we went through all of these things. We were our own laboratory, right? And it took time to work through all of those things and come to something that we all felt, okay, this is, this is more balanced. This is more reasonable. We can live this way, and there's always room for improvement, right? Okay. And then, some people would look at someone who has just heard the message, or may not even have heard the message, and we judge them. And we condemn them, instead of helping them. We're told that our, our speech should always be with grace, seasoned with salt. So we know how to answer every man. We should speak in love, words of kindness and love. We wish to present temperance and health reform from a Bible standpoint and to be very cautious not to go to extremes in abruptly advocating health reform. Extremes is one word. Abruptly. Some things just take time. For some people, just hearing something, my dad is, the, is that kind of guy. He hears something, he thinks it through, and when my dad, who is 95 years old, by the way, when my dad says, okay, I'm going to do this, his word is his bond, okay? 
My father is not prone to waver. We're told that about 5% of the world's population is like that. Just five. The rest of us, we have different degrees of uh, wiggle room that we, <laughs> that we extract, even from the things that we want to do. Even Paul, in Romans chapter 7, what did he say? He says, the things that I want to do, what? I do not. And the things I don't want to do, those things I do. Oh, wretched man that I am, he said, who can save me from this body of death? But I am so glad, and I'm sure you are too, that the Bible doesn't end in Romans chapter 7. Right? No, it goes on to Romans chapter 8. And Paul says that we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. Right? It's all about Jesus, guys. It's all about Jesus. And sometimes we take our eyes away from that and we want to introduce our own ideas. Look at this. We're not to graft into health reform one false shoot according to our own peculiar, overstrained ideas and weave into it our own strong traits of character, making these as the voice of God and passing judgment. We're not supposed to do that. We're not to make ourselves the standard for anybody else's doing. But it's easy to do that. Even when we're, when we're intending not to do it, it's easy to do it, right? Because we are very, very big on advice. Anybody here is big on advice? <laughs> yeah, all right. Okay. Now, there's a blessing and a curse in some people, and it goes like this. There are some minds so constituted that they will accept anything that bears the features of rigorous diet or reform of any kind. There are some people who are attracted to this, and they will do it. But then comes the other side. They expect everybody else in the world to do it that way too. So, ladies and gentlemen, we are ambassadors. Ambassadors of peace, ambassadors of shalom, ambassadors of this balanced way of looking at things. And uh, to remind me to talk about that is uh, this picture of two French ambassadors. And what do ambassadors do and who are they? Ambassadors are actually appointed by uh, some government, some king, some, some sovereignty, and says, you go and you will represent our country. You represent our kingdom. You represent our way of living. And this is what we do. We represent the kingdom of God. Go ye therefore, proclaiming what? The kingdom of God is at hand. Huh? The kingdom of God is at hand. All right. So now. Let's look at the real determinants of health, okay? We're going to go a little bit faster so you get this. We have symptoms on the top. We have the underlying cause of disease at the bottom. We have states of health, outcomes. And we have contributing factors, lifestyle behaviors. But wait a minute. We have this whole bulk of stuff that sometimes we don't take into account. And we think we have the whole answer when we're going to reach a person or a people or, or we go as missionaries somewhere. Look at that. Individuals have different values, attitudes, beliefs, resources, skills, different knowledge. And uh, in the world of public health, we have a whole paradigm 
of looking at the determinants of health, and some of these are social determinants of health. In the middle here, we have the person's age, their gender, uh, their constitutional factors. Then we have individual lifestyle factors, social and community networks, and then we have all of these things, housing, healthcare, water and sanitation, unemployment, living and working conditions, uh, work environment, education, agriculture and food production. And then we have general socioeconomic, cultural and environmental conditions that embrace the whole thing. Now oftentimes, we, we act as if the only thing that matters is what's going on here with the individual lifestyle factors. And this can throw us off our track as we, as we work with people. We, we have to understand that this is not the whole picture. It is, a, it is a serious part of the picture. Our choices make a huge difference. But God, he knows our frame. He knows that we're dust, but he knows where we come from. He understands what's going on with us, and that's something that we don't understand about each other most times. Where we live, where we learn, where we work, where we play, have more to do with our health than going to the doctor. So here are some of the things. Access to fresh fruits and vegetables. We were working with a community in Mexico, and uh, we found that in this, in this town, the kids weren't eating... Uh, they weren't eating vegetables. They weren't eating broccoli and things like this. And, you know, you might say, well, you know, the kids all over the world, they don't like to eat broccoli. But we dug, we dug a little bit deeper. They have never seen broccoli. They've never seen broccoli. Their idea of, uh, of vegetables in this particular town was very simply something that we call pico de gallo, right? <laughs> Which is yummy, right? A little bit of tomato, some onions, right? Some chili, of course, right? <laughs> and that's it. That's, that's it. That's the vegetables. And you go and you judge them. How come, parents, you're not feeding your children a balanced meal? They've never seen it. We were in another community and uh, developed a community garden. And people were reluctant at first, but then they said, okay, they will do that. In that part of the country, <laughs> they grew uh, cattle, <laughs> and they grew goats, <laughs> okay? That was, that was what they did. And they made tortillas. <laughs> so they had cheese, they had tortillas, and they had meat, and of course, the ubiquitous chicken that was running around, and then some of them with the pork and whatnot. But, you know, that was it. It was meat. So when you say, let's have a community garden, it was like, really? <laughs> well, there was one lady who had uh, quite a bit of land, and she agreed, we'll, we'll, we'll do this. And so the, the women of uh, the community uh, who were home during the day, okay, we started to do this, and, and lo and behold, it, it went really, really well, and they were very excited. Everything was, uh, was growing. God blessed the garden, and things were flourishing. But we had a problem. Nobody would pick any of the vegetables when they grew. So they were just sitting there. We, we, didn't, we didn't understand it. Okay? So we asked them, why aren't you picking? I mean, it's, it's, it's not just to be admired. <laughs> you need to, to, to eat it. 
Well, they had never eaten it before. They didn't know how to prepare it. They didn't know how to cook it. So you have to go backwards, right? So now we taught them how to prepare these things, how to eat them fresh, how to make it in a dish, right? Oh, they loved it. And then the woman who gave the land, she took it back. <laughs> this is a true story. She took it back. <laughs> uh, but there's a good end to the story. They got, the, the ladies, they got something else, and, uh, and they did it for themselves uh, the next time around. Anyway, so access to fresh fruits and vegetables, access to green spaces, freedom to walk and play during the day, income levels. You know, uh, based on income level, you can have three times the mortality before age 65. The lower your income, the worse it is. Okay, what else? Education level, 2.5 times the mortality before age, age 65. People who, are, who don't have formal education have 2.5 times greater uh, mortality risk before the age of 65. In some states uh, uh, and country, countries of residence and zip code, 13-year difference in, in longevity just because of where you live. Uh, there's, there are multiple studies now looking at zip codes in the United States. The zip code is a great determinant of what your health status is going to be, right? Uh, racial inequities and uh, master status effect. Residence, where you, go to, where you live, determines what school you go to. What school you go to determines how much access you have to higher education. That determines what job. That job determines how much money you get. That then determines the residence and the access to resources to deal with life's challenges. So it's a cycle, right? And some people cannot and do not negotiate out of that cycle. And we go and we tell them you need to eat more fruits and vegetables. Stop smoking. And this will be what takes care of you. I went to one community. Actually, we were moving to the community. And we had a wonderful program in the church uh, where we were doing cholesterol screenings and whatnot. And everything was going really, really well. But I asked the, the people, well, you know, we're the poor people in town. And to be honest with you, many people didn't know where the poor people lived. And in this particular town, it was literally over the tracks. Okay? There, was, there was a railroad track, and when you crossed the track, it was like being in a horror movie. On this side, there's sun and, uh, and bells and music, and as you cross the railroad track, it's no, it really felt like that. The, the, the road was different. The dust and, and grime was different. Anyway, so I went to, uh, to visit some of the people, and the place that, uh, that was most available was a church. There was a church there, uh, not a Seventh-day Adventist church. I went to that, to that church, and I talked to some of the people there, and they, oh, you're the new doctor in town, da-da-da-da-da, right. So I asked them, would you like for some help, uh, you know, meetings and things. Oh, yes, 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 yes. Okay. Now, how many of you think that they would be really interested in cholesterol screening? <laughs> no, no, no. They were more interested in what was going on in their community with the drugs, the fact that they didn't have supermarkets in that area, the fact that their daughters were getting pregnant at age 13 and 14 and 15. See, th that's what was of concern to them. And you know, I, I wish I could tell you that everything worked out because we understood that, but I can't tell you that. I don't know what happened. I, I know that we engaged with them uh, for a while, but then we moved away. 
And I don't think anybody else in our church actually saw this as an opportunity to minister to people in need. Yes? Yes. Cigarettes a day. Yeah. It's serious stuff. Yeah. Serious stuff. Okay. Now, look at this. Tips for staying healthy, right? The lifestyle approach. Don't smoke. If you do, stop. If you don't, don't start. Eat a balanced diet, whole foods, fresh fruits and vegetables. Keep physically active. If you drink, according to the research, it says do so in moderation. Actually, the more we look at the research, the more we know there is no safe level of alcohol, okay? All right. So stop altogether. That's what we tell people. Avoid excessive sun and protect your children. That is, care for your children. Nurture your children. Don't abuse them. Don't uh, abandon them. All of these increase the risk not only of the child uh, having psychological problems, but actually increases the risk that the child will have physical problems like diabetes, hypertension, heart disease, they're more likely to be obese, they're more likely to be promiscuous, they're more likely to get COPD, chronic obstructive pulmonary disease, and they're more likely to die between five and 12 years prematurely, okay? Practice safe sex, that means monogamous natural marital sex. Participate in appropriate health screenings, drive defensively, don't drink and drive, manage your stress, practice physical, mental, and dental hygiene, and maintain reciprocally supportive social ties, okay? How do you like that? 11 good health practices. These are the lifestyle things. And you know, we can stop right there and say, this is wonderful. Yes, sir? Don't bake, okay? No, that, seriously, don't bake. Yeah. You know, um, in, in sun-beaten countries, uh, like where there are lots of beaches and a lot of sunshine near the equator, when you, you know the natives from the non-natives, okay? Because the natives, when the sun is really hot, they seek the shade. And the foreigners who go there, they seek the sun, right? This is just how it is. Uh, but, but native people, no. When the sun is hot, you, you go inside, right? You go under the shade, yeah. <clears throat> Having good emotional health, right? Good emotional health. Yes, sir. Yes, part of the issue is because they've been avoiding the sun too much. Yeah, yeah. There is a balance there. Excuse me? Another part of... Oh, okay. All right. The other, the other issues are we all don't metabolize vitamin D in the same way. So uh, the latest research, which came out just about two weeks ago, uh, uh, we know that there's a level around 20 uh, uh, nanograms okay, per deciliter. Uh, and by the time you get to 30 you have a problem because it, you increase the risk of some cancers already by the time you get to 30. So there is an issue. Now, before we were saying kind of just let it go because you're, you're, you're going to do fine. Not so. Not, not with the, the latest 
uh, meta-analyses and whatnot. So there is a balance here. Just going out and, and just getting as much sun as you can uh, is, not the, is not the route either, okay? All right. Tips for staying healthy looking at the social determinants. Now, this is a little bit tongue-in-cheek, but it's actually real. This is good data. Here we are. Don't be poor. If you are, stop. If you can't, try not to be poor for too long. Okay? Yeah, it's kind of depressing, all right? Don't have poor parents. Don't live in a poor or industrialized neighborhood. If the, if the neighborhood is industrialized, you have a... a a 20% increased risk of having chronic diseases going to the emergency room more than five times a year, right? Because of the pollutions. Own a car. People who don't have cars don't have access to the same things as other people who have cars. But use it only on weekends and walk to work, okay? <laughs> then you have to use your car. <laughs> Right? Or get a bicycle. <laughs> uh, can you imagine that? <laughs> okay. Practice not losing your job. <laughs> and don't become unemployed. No, because th this is a, a significant determinant of decreased health. Right? Don't be illiterate. All right. Avoid social isolation. Don't accumulate ACE points. That's, that's the, the points that children have when they are neglected, abused, etc., by their parents. Try not to be part of a socially marginalized group. <laughs> Can you imagine trying not to be that, right? And be born in a high happiness index country, such as Denmark or so, all right? Now, it's kind of tongue-in-cheek, but if you understand what I'm saying, these things actually affect your health. And so when we tell people about what to do, if we don't consider who they are, where they're from, what their context is, we might be asking them to do something that's well nigh impossible. Exactly, exactly. And you know, that takes us now into a whole other realm of things. It kind of sounds like when I was sick, you visited me. And when I had nothing to eat, you gave me something to eat, and you taught me how to plant so that I can eat. You get the idea? It's, it's going beyond just, just the platitudes of saying, you need to do this. But it's actually extending ourselves and helping people to be able to overcome some of these social determinants of poor health. Exactly. No, no. Thank you for adding that, Vicky. They don't always go away. But if we are ignorant of it, they, they look at us and they, they think we're from Mars because we just don't understand. Yes. Simply economics. Simply economics. When they, when they look at all of the factors for uh, exercise and cigarette smoking and obesity and whatnot, economics still plays a part. Yeah. 
Most of us are weak in faith, strong faith, trust God to do what he wants to do. We trust God that he will do what he wants to do. Daniel and his three friends, Abraham and the woman with the issue of blood, uh, sorry, Abraham and the woman with the issue of blood all had strong faith and got great outcomes. Paul, John the Baptist, and Jesus had strong faith and had outcomes that don't look so good, humanly speaking. This is John the Baptist. We sometimes like to think only of what we would see as being the good outcome, but God sees a bigger outcome. It didn't please God that John the Baptist would be beheaded by this, you know, ridiculous man. It didn't please him. But guess what? This was what was needed at the time. And John accepted that. John died in faith. God put the power in the natural remedies. So where does the power to heal with extracts and herbs and whatnot comes from? Where does it come from? From God. God does that. Who created the physiology and the ability to have, that we have to study it? God did. There is no safe level of alcohol to be ingested. The first thing to go under the influence of alcohol is our judgment. That's why I do not drink alcohol. I, I, I'm kind of connected to my brain. There was a commercial long time ago, I guess it was a long time ago on television, you know, don't leave home without it. Well, I don't want to leave home without my judgment. And I want to have good judgment when I'm home too, okay? Uh, cigarette smoking has no redeeming qualities, but being sedentary is a greater health risk than smoking cigarettes. Did you know that? If you had a choice, it's a forced choice, <laughs> smoke or be sedentary, I'll tell you, statistically, smoking and being physically active is better than being sedentary, all right, and not smoking. Caffeine is a stimulant. Coffee and tea are stimulants and therefore are psychoactive agents. They should not be used as beverages, as beverages. We shouldn't be doing this thing as, a, as an everyday thing. Regardless of what is coming up and being trendy, even in the church. Caffeinated, yes. So we look at these uh, uh, health-related uh, factors and we must add what the social scientists leave out. We must add that there is a spiritual dimension to health and there's a biblical worldview, a mindset that changes how we look at everything. It filters everything else. And that is the truth. So if we look at things now from that biblical standpoint, which of the things that, uh, that we promote in health ministry, which of these things uh, become effective? First of all, you know, we promote good community. We should. Right there in the church, right there in your neighborhood, right there on the job, right in your school, good community. Do you know that we're supposed to be a family, guys? Did you know that? Yeah. We're supposed to be a family. We're supposed to act like family. How about this one? 
lifestyle. Well, of course. The individual choices that we make. Yeah, even under a bad circumstance, we can make better choices. So we say we make the best of the bad choices. How's that? How about this one? Our age. Can you change your age? Don't say no. <laughs> we can change our physiologic age, okay? We can't change our chronologic age, but we can change our physiologic age. The way we change our physiologic age is by doing the things that we, know, we all know that we should be doing. And we do this, I do it sometimes, right? I know I shouldn't be doing this, but. How many? No, don't raise your hand. <laughs> all right. Education. Do you know that there's a statistic that is not used too much anymore? But within one generation of becoming a Seventh-day Adventist, within one generation, the, education, the formal education level goes from under high school to college. Did you know that? Under high school to college. Seventh-day Adventists believe that people should be educated. And that is a determinant of health. And you thought that health was just physical stuff, right? No, the whole message is one of health because it's about completeness and shalom and all that is good. How about this one, agriculture and food uh, production? You've heard into the country, planting your own stuff, growing your own stuff. You've heard about that, right? You've heard of that, right? Do you know that uh, even if you live in the heart of a concrete jungle, you can do box planting? You, you can have in your apartment, your little apartment, you can have potted plants. Yeah. You can grow fresh herbs. Some people grow other kinds of herbs. <laughs> you can grow fresh herbs that are wholesome and healthy for you to eat, right? You can put some flowers. By the way, you can change the quality of the air that you breathe by putting in plants. And, you know, I have a list of plants, indoor plants, that, that do a wonderful job of cleaning the air of pollutants, right? So do they have your email address, Vicky? <laughs> and I will send it to you, and, and you, can, you can send it to anybody who wants that. And by the way, this, this, this list came from the American Horticulture Society, but, but get this, they didn't generate the list themselves. When NASA was uh, getting involved in the space program and putting astronauts up there, they were looking at how to keep the air clean in an environment where it's artificial. And with all of the machinery and all of the technology, the best thing that they found was to put plants, okay? God won. <laughs> okay. Unemployment? Well, guess what? When you are doing all of these things, the likelihood that you're going to be employed goes up, right? The likelihood that you're going to be poor goes down. You get what I'm saying? So the issue of accepting the truth, it really makes a difference in your whole life and your whole health. It does. This is what happens when someone accepts Christ and accepts the whole message. And the health message includes all of this. 
What can members do? Be ambassadors. One study, and I'll just go quickly with this one. They looked at uh, people with hypertension. They had some, some people in the church who went around and, uh, and, and they didn't know much about hypertension. They just learned a little bit of, of health and they went and, and they, they talked to people who had high blood pressure. <laughs> they just talked to them. And they learned some things about uh, discussed family difficulties, financial strain, employment opportunities, and as appropriate, provided support, advice, referral, direct assistance. That's, that's what they did. That's what they did. They were just being good neighbors. And you know what happened? Seven months later, patients in the outreach group were more likely to have their blood pressures controlled than patients in the other two groups. <laughs> you want to be an ambassador for health, an ambassador for shalom, you want to be a medical missionary, yes, you can do that by being a good neighbor. And you thought it was going to be really complicated, right? <laughs> yeah. The people who were visited by these lay volunteers knew twice as much about blood pressure as patients in the other two groups those in the outreach group were more knowledgeable, with more knowledge, sorry, were more successful in blood pressure control and were more compliant with taking their blood pressure medications than the patients in the health education group alone. Being there for somebody, helping them. Now, I would like to think that if this were a Seventh-day Adventist group, we would also help them not only with their blood pressure, but with all of these other things and then maybe even the medication that they were taking would be reduced where appropriate. You get the idea? I have to add that word, where appropriate. Because you don't just go around taking off people's uh, blood pressure medications, right? Okay, so we have some extremes that people deal with. On the right, that's giving a left hook, right? Everything matters. Fire and brimstone approach to the health message. Everything is salvific if you correctly understand the Bible and the spirit of prophecy. He did not have the benefit. This is a story. Uh, uh, in one church, uh, a young pastor, he got there. He was uh, preaching. By the time six weeks had gone by, a dear sister in the church uh, said, Pastor, when are you going to start really tackling the problems in this church? He said, well, sister, I, I thought I, I was doing so. No, 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 Pastor. There are still people in this church who eat fish, they eat meat. We, we, we need to get, get on the program. Now, let me say this. People, if they knew all of the issues involved with meat eating and fish eating and whatnot, they would get with the program, right? But the pastor, he said, well, you know, <laughs> I was talking to them, I want to develop rapport with them and whatnot, and he made the quip. He told me, he said, just kind of tongue-in-cheek, he says, well, you know, even so, Jesus ate lamb and he, he ate fish. And the lady told him, that's because he didn't have the benefit of the health message. I don't think she really understood what she was saying. But there are some people who go to this kind of extreme. Are you hearing what I'm saying? Okay. There's righteousness by diet, righteousness by exercise, righteousness by sleep, righteousness by, by works. This is a legalistic approach. Now, ladies and gentlemen, before you go too far, they may say that being fat or overweight is a sin. I want to let you know. We don't 
promote obesity. We don't promote being overweight. We don't promote people being too skinny either. Because we understand that the gates of heaven are wide enough to take the fattest person in the world who believes in Jesus Christ. You believe that? Yeah. But I'll tell you what. The Bible says there is no door, there is no portal for the glutton. None. You're excluded. So rather than looking at the externals, I am so glad that my Savior looks at the internals. He looks at what's in our hearts. Eating more than two meals a day, oh, they say that's a sin too. Fruits and vegetables at the same meal, oh, that's a sin. Eating and drinking together, that's a sin. It may turn others off, this approach, to reasonable health principles. And this has happened in the past. So, this extreme to the right is often associated with a narrow view of Christ and his grace and may stimulate rebellious spirit in others. It may be associated with such an overactive zeal for the truth that it eclipses the love and the compassion that are embodied in that truth. Don't fall into that ditch. Nonetheless, what should we do confronted with somebody who is in that ditch? They should be met with the same compassion that Christ has for all human beings. They just don't know better. And we need to love them just the same. We don't reject them. Okay. Now we have this one to the left. That's individuals who <laughs> look at the health message and, and it's a joke, right? The health message, of course, we take it seriously. Why do you ask? <laughs> well, this does not save you, is what that person might be likely to say, Jesus ate meat and fish. Therefore, what's the problem? They may say things like, it's not a sin to eat. You name it, right? It's not a sin. They may say, show me the scientific proof that it is as you say. They may say, I'm sick and tired of all these rules. They may say, I don't make a fuss. I just do my own thing. God accepts me just as I am. They may say, I will not be a legalist. These people may also say, or these people, often a rejection of the extreme right approach is why they took this, uh, they blame the others, right? I don't want to be like them. It's often a default of convenience. You know, it's easier to do nothing than to do something, right? What else? May actually be antagonistic to reasonable instruction. So when you when you're trying to teach them about something else, unless they come to a realization, you know, their back is against the wall, right? I had one guy who came uh, to the lifestyle center where I was working, and he was getting wonderful results. But he told me, doctor, I am not going to give up my tuna fish sandwiches. I told him, I haven't told you anything about tuna fish sandwiches. He says, yeah, I know, but it's coming. <laughs> I am not going to give up my tuna fish sandwiches. In other words, I, I, will be, I will do anything else to keep my blood pressure down, to get my, uh, my blood sugar under control, as it's going very nicely now. But, but tuna fish, I reserve the right to my tuna fish sandwiches. 
I promised him, I said, I'm not going to talk to you about tuna fish sandwiches anymore. I didn't even start this conversation. You did, right? <laughs> Within three weeks, he told me, I don't think I'll be eating tuna fish sandwiches. <laughs> he told me. I said, all right, wonderful, good. Anyway, may actually, all right, is often not satisfied with any evidence whatsoever. You see, a man convinced against his will is of the same opinion still, right? May induce others to follow suit to their own detriment because it's not just hurting somebody else who follows. It actually hurts you too, right? And last but not least, persons should be met with the same love and compassion that Jesus has for us. Ladies and gentlemen, the bottom line, God, God has shown us scandalous grace. And he wants us to be ambassadors of that grace and that mercy, but never deviate from the truth about him. May God bless you in your health ministry personally, and what you have in your church and your community. Thank you. I am told that my time is up. That's what he told me. That guy back there. See that fellow? Yes. Go ahead, Vicky. Take care of him. I'm going to. Can you say amen? Amen. Thank you so much, Dr. Marcel. You know, one of my favorite um, Bible stories is found in John chapter 5, where Jesus no one to help him. And I remember my husband and I were driving on a trip, and I was reading this story for our devotion that evening, and, and, and Jesus met him in verse 14 of John chapter 5 and said, go and sin no more, lest a, what? A worse thing come upon you. And, I, and I, it struck me because the context of the story, this man had brought this hopeless, helpless, helpless, worthless condition upon himself. And I asked Dane, I said, Dane, what could be worse than being paralyzed from the neck down with no one to help you? And he didn't skip a beat. He said, being paralyzed from the neck up and not wanting help. Mm -hmm. And that is the truth. So our work as ambassadors for Jesus Christ is to help the Spirit of God to work on hearts so that no one will want to be paralyzed from the neck up. Amen? Amen. Let's give a hearty amen to Dr. Marcel. And we are going to now ask him to have our closing prayer. Let's stand. Our Father in heaven, we want to thank you for giving us the most precious gift of all, Jesus Christ. And to give us instructions on how to, how to live and how to live better. You offer us so much that's better than what, we, what we're even attracted to in our natural lives. And as we approach this new year coming, I pray that your Holy Spirit will redouble his efforts and his energies so that we might be recipients of this lavish grace that you have showered upon us and that we will be ambassadors, true ambassadors for you, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Please hear our prayers and keep us in your love because we can't keep ourselves. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. This message was presented at the GYC 2016 conference when all has been heard in Houston, Texas. GYC, a supporting ministry of the Seventh-day Adventist Church, 
seeks to inspire young people to be Bible-based, Christ-centered, and soul-winning Christians. For other resources like this, visit us online at www.gycweb.org.